You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. So how many of you enjoy the Mission Impossible movies? Okay, a little bit more than what I thought. I, uh, I, was, a little, I was a little worried about that. Me and Brent... Hand, we're having a, a conversation a few weeks ago, and we were talking about how Mission Impossible is really like a funner James Bond, right? Uh, you know, and so it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of high action going on, a lot of, uh, you know, just, just in-your-face type things. But, uh, you know, Mission Impossible, it's one of those movies that I always enjoy. I don't think I've ever watched one where I, where I don't enjoy it. But maybe a, a question that I can ask that all of you know is how many of you know Tom Cruise? Wow, less people know Tom Cruise than, uh, than, uh, than watch Mission Impossible. So in my, in my study, I was trying to figure out a, an, inter- an interesting fact about Tom Cruise that I could share with you. And uh, we got a dictionary online that classifies him this way. Kevin, if you want to go ahead and hit that so everybody can see it. Movie star who only uses two facial expressions in every movie he's in, smiling or not smiling. So if you've ever watched uh, Top Gun, if you've ever watched Valkyrie, if you've ever watched Days of Thunder, this is 100% accurate. Tom Cruise only makes two faces his entire movie. Even his mad face, you're just like, what is he doing? The guy is obviously really popular though, right? He, he's, he's the highest, he was the highest paid movie, act, uh, movie star two years ago. And so, uh, you know, it's really really interesting fact that, that I had to share with you. Also in this movie, a little weird thing too, Henry Cavill... Uh, is, the, is the side character with him is 6'5". Tom Cruise is 5'7". You would never know that watching the movie. It's pretty incredible. So uh, let's pray. Let's dive into Fallout. I just had to throw that weird statistic at you right there because it's 100% correct. Not biblical, but correct. So, God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to bring your word. And Lord, hear our, hear our hearts today. God, our prayer is truly that we would connect with you in a deeper way. And God, we just love you and we praise you. Amen. So, the fun part about what I get to do, right, is uh, Rick does not give me many of these opportunities uh, for a good reason. So uh, not to scare you, but, uh, but we're going to have some fun here for a little bit. But we've got we to gotta define fallout. So if, what, what is fallout? What does, what does Webster's Dictionary define fallout as? The adverse side effects or results of a situation. If you're like me in your uh, late 20s, uh, fallout for you was when you watched Godzilla when it came out in the late 90s and uh, you know they're testing the bombs and all of a sudden an iguana turns into a big huge giant animal that wreaks havoc on the world. Well that is not the case. Uh, that is not what fallout is. Fallout is more uh, you know maybe when you're dealing with some adversity or you make a decision in your life and some unexpected things happen. But the thing that stood out to me about fallout is the second part of the definition is result of a situation. So we always think fallout, or if we do think about fallout, we think about adversity, we think about things that we struggle with, we think about things that hold us back from maybe reaching our potential, or unexpected things that we just have to deal with. So a real-life fallout scenario. I want to show you a picture of a very special man and woman in our life. So this is Pastor Rick and Deva. Why are you laughing? I don't understand. So, <clears throat> as you can see, I got this. I, w- I want to give a little bit more clarity here. 
Dava actually gave me these pictures. I didn't go scour the internet and find them. I asked Dava to help me out, and she hit it on the head, okay? So, this is Rick, I want to say seven, late 70s, 80s. Dava did not know, but uh, you can see there's, there's specific things about him right now that are completely different than in this picture. And what I want to point out, don't even focus on the top of his head. That's not what I'm talking about here. Look at this mustache. And look at how neatly trimmed that beard is. That's unbelievable to me. If we go to the next picture, you can see the individual on the right looks the exact same. The exact same. The individual on the left, I have no idea who it is. So when you see this, don't get it mixed up. I'm not saying Deva is the reason for Rick's fallout. What I am telling you, what I am telling you is there are different scenarios for fallout, and losing your hair is not what I'm talking about today. So I wanted to be really, really clear. A more real-life fallout scenario, this goes out to all the men, all right? So men, you've enjoyed your day, you come home from work, or it's even after church, and you have the most dreaded question you could possibly ask your wife, your girlfriend, your fiancé, whatever the case may be, and without thinking about it, you can all probably think what it is. What do you want to eat? <laughs> all right, so I want to show you my wife. Look how happy she is. That is not my wife. David's not my wife. There we go. So my wife is Jamie. Look how happy she is. So this is about 97% of our marriage, okay? And that's a real weird percentage, right? What, what's the other three? Well, this is the other 3%. So this is every time I ask her what she wants to eat. I guess we got delayed reaction. Look at that. <laughs> You guys have never seen Jamie that way, have you? I have. I experience it all the time. I wanted to share that with you. And let me promise you there will be fallout after this service for me and myself. So, again, this is a fallout scenario I am talking about. Good intentions, right? Me, as the husband, saying, babe, I want to take you out to eat or I want to cook for you. What do you want? And this is the face you get. So... How many of you husbands or, or guys can relate to this? Okay, almost every, every single hand, except for Roe. Roe, okay, now you throw it up. Okay, okay. So, so I mean, this is, a, this is a real life scenario. But I don't want to just pick on the ladies. I also want to give the ladies a chance. So, how many of you guys watch football or have a hobby you enjoy, like cars, tools, building things? Everybody, every guy's hand would go up. So me in particular, when Auburn is on TV, leave me alone. I don't want to hear from you. Don't text me. Don't call me. And that sounds real vicious, doesn't it? It's the truth. And uh, when Auburn's on, I don't want to be bothered by anybody. So Jamie has this, uh, this nice habit of, of doing this right here, asking a man to take out the trash while the game is on. And you know, as a man, you know your wife's doing that to get under your skin. I mean, oh, come on. Don't, don't act like you're not. So for me, my wife, Jamie's always like, well, look, it's, it's a commercial. You, sh you, you know, the game's not even on. Well, that's when we're game planning. That's when we're trying to figure out what the defense is doing, what the offense is going to do. We're trying to get in the game, right? We're in that zone for three, three and a half, four hours. It, it's just the truth. And, you know, the thing is, you know, Jamie is used to Alabama winning national championships, okay? I don't get that privilege. So when I get to watch Auburn, I'm locked in, okay? I don't care if we win or lose. 
I am locked in. I don't want to miss a moment because either my heart's going to get broke or I'm going to be riding high because that's the way we do it at Auburn, right? So, you know, Jamie's used to those national championships where she can just, oh, yeah, we're up 45 to nothing, blah, blah, blah. I can go do whatever I want. I'm not. I'm not, okay? So we, we go to overtime with Division II schools. So thank you. Sorry. I know I'm talking about Auburn, but just letting you know how my heart is. But you can see that is, that is Brent Hand right there. How about a shout-out for Jesus is my homeboy hat? I mean, how cool is that? So, uh, but go, this, is, this is how it looks after the game, after Jamie asked me, look at, look at the trash can. It's full. It's sad. It's really wanting to be unloaded. But I don't care. Auburn's on. And guess what we deal with? A fallout situation, a fallout scenario. And because guess who didn't take out the trash when he was told to take out the trash? That's right, Kyle. So, again, we're talking about fallout scenarios. And, and we've, had, we've had a few fun ones right there that, that are really cool. But I, I want to I talk about 2911 for a minute because I think it's important to kind of share our DNA, especially for you guys who weren't a part of the the old building. So if we go to the next slide, it's a picture of our old building. It's really blurry, right? We were in that building five years ago. We didn't have HD cameras back then, okay? So, so it's a real blurry picture, and honestly, I couldn't find a, a, a good picture of outside the building. But we had grown so much that we were having three services, and uh, we were really at maximum capacity for that building. So we decide to sell the building and, you know, look for a different space to, to go to. Well, as you can see, the 40% unchurched is right there in the corner. You may be asking, well, what does that mean? So our prayer at 2911 has always been to connect with the unchurched or the unconnected. And what we mean by that is unchurched is either you were in church before, you're not now, maybe you got hurt, maybe you dealt with some difficult things. Uh, unconnected would be, you know, look, you're not really connected anywhere. Maybe you've never believed in God. And so we've always been, Rick's always been, very diligent about tracking this. As you can see, 40% unchurched in our old building. That's pretty incredible, right? That means that 40% of us were, were not attending a church or involved in a relationship with God, okay? Guess who was a part of that 40%? Me. Me. So I got to enjoy this building for all of about three months. So I, I started coming here five years ago. And so that three months was pretty awesome. But my second time being at 2911, we have a meeting that says, hey, uh, we need to have an emergency meeting. And of course, I'm freaked out, right? Oh my gosh, I'm going to this new church, and they're having an emergency meeting with everybody. Oh, it's going to be super scary. Well, we had this emergency meeting, and come to find out, yes, we had sold the building, but we had to get out within three weeks. So, Rick is talking to, to the faithful people, and if you guys were here five years ago, you'll remember this. And so, we're, we're discussing about some options and some things we can do. And so, what ended up happen, happening after three weeks is we ended up coming to the Civic Center. So, our sixth anniversary, I believe, was in the Civic Center, or the fifth. Fifth anniversary was in the Civic Center, which is pretty cool. So we launched at the Civic Center on our fifth anniversary. So how does this all, all play in? Because remember, the 40% unconnected, unchurched before coming here, is a big deal, right? That's our focus. That's who we're connecting with. Rick preaches this sermon, still probably one of my favorite sermons he's ever preached, and it's called March Madness, talking about going on the road and winning. And so the whole plan was to be in the Civic Center two to three months. Now we're still here five years later. And the cool thing that I want to point out is we had great intentions. We had good intentions, right? We were at max capacity in our old building. We needed to, we needed to make a move to, to you know, expedite our growth, those kind of things. 
And so, so we made the move with good intentions. We made the move with thinking the right way. But we were going to only be here for three months. Well, it's turned into five years. So an example of fallout, and if we go to the next slide, you can see we're now at 69% unchurched. Think about that. So in five years, not only did we go from 40% unchurched in a building that we thought would be temporary, we actually grew. So what I want to tell you, and the thing I want you to understand is when you deal with adversity, you deal with things in your life that do not go the right way, fallout is not the end of your story. It's not the end of your story. So you may have great intentions. You may have things that you're setting up in your life for, for the better, right? You get married for a reason, right? Because you want to be with that person. But things happen, right? When you have a baby, things happen. You experience a lot of fallout, 3 o'clock in the morning. That's just the truth of the matter, and that's something that I'm learning over the past two months. So mad respect for all you parents out there that have been doing this for years. But the whole thing that I want you to understand is fallout is not the end of your story. So when you, get, when you are faced with adversity or it's a result of a situation and you didn't want it to go that way, understand that it's not the end of your story. And even Psalms 34, 19 says this, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Now what's important about this scripture is this comes from David. So we're going to talk a little bit about David right here. I know we had fun uh, there for a little bit, but I want to kind of give you a little bit of backstory on David. So if we go to David, Kevin, David was not born a king. And so what I want you to understand is Israel... Israel wants a king, all right? They want to be like everybody else. They've been promised a Messiah. They've been promised all this stuff, you know, that's going to lead them into the new age or wh however you want to phrase it. It's not a biblical term, right, new age. But, but just think about it. I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. So Saul is anointed king over Israel. And uh, God, things happen, uh, and he is no longer wanted by God to lead Israel. So God speaks to the, to the prophet Samuel and says, hey, I'm going to send you to go anoint the new king. Samuel, and, and all the scriptures are on the Connect page and Sunday's page, so as you go through the week, you can read up on it. But Samuel goes, God, I'm not doing that. If, if Saul finds out, Saul will kill me. But God had a plan. God had a purpose for this issue. So, so Saul has done some things that are wrong, that go directly against what God expects for, from a king with his people to do. And so... God chooses David to become the king, but there's a lot of important factors there. So he's looked over. When Samuel gets to Bethlehem and, and meets with Jesse, he sees one of Jesse's sons. And he's like, surely that's the king. That's the guy that's going to be the king of Israel. And God says, no way. That's not him. It's not him. Next thing, David is the youngest of eight sons. If you guys are familiar with anything medieval happens in the past, the youngest always got the worst end of the stick right? Always got the worst end of the stick. The oldest inherited everything, ran the family, all those things once the father passed away. So he's the youngest of eight sons. And the last point, he's a shepherd. Now in those times, a shepherd was not really, uh, you know, looked at as a, as a leader. You know, now we would say, yeah, man, we want a shepherd. We want somebody who cares about people that, that is going to invest in people the way that shepherds care about sheep, right? And invest in them. But at that time, you know, you expect a commander. You expect somebody to come in with military background. You expect somebody to come in who has a thought process for war that can grow, you know, who, who can grow your country. David did not have that. David did not have that, but he became God's chosen king. And you can see here with 1 Samuel 16, 13, 
So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So think about this. Saul is told, no, you know, you've done some things that disappoint me, so you're no longer going to be king. And, well, he's not told that. He, you know, this is all things moving behind the scenes. And David is out in the field doing his thing, and here comes Samuel to change his entire life forever. So, what I want you to understand is, you know, fallout is not the end of your story, but it's an opportunity for personal growth. It's an opportunity for personal growth, because let me tell you something, when, when, uh, when David, could you imagine being David, a young boy, and you are anointed to be the future king? You've been out there with sheep all day, having yourself a good time all by yourself, you know, kidding around with sheep, you know? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that, but I'm pretty sure that's a fallout scenario, right? Holy cow, what just happened? What's going on in my life? How does, how does that change? But the important thing to remember is God came powerfully on him. So how does David handle this? How does David handle this? So David's timeline, he's anointed by Samuel. And the reason why I want to tell you this is, is I want to give you some backstory back here. He's anointed by Samuel. He kills Goliath. Saul tries to kill David, and Saul dies, and David becomes king. Now, when you're looking at the scriptures here, that's not your anointed king, and here's the, here's the throne. You know, that's not what happened, okay? What happened was David still had to do things the right way. David still had to prove himself worthy to take on that throne and lead God's people. So, you, I'm, I'm sure you, you really catch here, like, Saul tries to kill David. Like, well, well yeah, he, Saul's the king. David's anointed the king. And, uh, yeah, Saul comes after him. So, I don't know about you, but that is definitely a fallout scenario. That is not what I expect to happen if I'm anointed king, right? And hopefully you would not expect that to happen either. But, but David has to go on the run a little bit here. And so, again, if we're saying fallout is not the end of your story, and it's an opportunity to experience personal growth, what's the key factor? How you respond determines how far you go. So think about David a little bit here. This, this, this kid, literally a kid, gets anointed king, is to be over all of God's people, to be over all of them. And he essentially has to run for his life at some point. But the thing I want you to remember here is Acts 13, 22. Now, this is not in the Old Testament where David is prevalent, okay? This is Paul talking about David. So, essentially, after, after God removed Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So that's said after the fact. That's not said right there in the moment with David. So how did David go from being anointed a king as a child to becoming king? Well, he had to respond to fallout in a lot of different ways. And not losing your hair, not having to answer to your wife about dinner, not having to take out the trash during the game. He didn't have to answer for those reasons. What he had to answer for was, was for the things that we're about to see. So the first thing in how you respond to fallout is you have to have heart. And 1 Samuel 16, 7, I believe that's the scripture, yes. So, so when Samuel sees, and this is why I didn't tell you a while ago because I was saving it for now. When Samuel sees Jesse with his son, with his other son, 
He's like, surely this is the guy. And what happens is God says, no. Do not pay attention to what your manly, I say manly, what your human eyes can see. What I see is the heart. So when you're dealing with fallout in your life, when you're dealing with scenarios, whether that's a, a lost job, whether that's a, a divorce, whether that's uh, you know, anything that would happen to your kid, we've all been touched by fallout and bad scenarios, bad results of situations all throughout our life. Every one of us. There's nobody here, if I ask that question, should keep your hand down. We've all been touched in some sort of way from fallout. But what David did is David had heart, and God saw that from day one, and he said it about him at the end. And if you think about David, David has this whole book of stories where he done things the wrong way. And one of the reasons why I wanted to use David is, you know, God chose David, but David was still goofy enough to mess up at every step he took. But God also saw his heart and realized that, hey, I can see the future. I know he's going to mess up, but I believe in him because he loves me that way. So for you, it's the same thing. God knows we are human. We're going to mess up. Things are not going to be perfect in our life. We're going to have to deal with scenarios and, 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 and deal, with, deal with fallout. We're going to have to because we're human. And it, the issue is, or the, the solution to the issue is always having heart. And, and like Brian Houston says right here, who you believe God is will determine what you think God will do. So that's a very, very, very powerful statement. And when you believe that God can pull you through any situation, when you believe that, 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 that whatever the obstacle you're facing, whatever the fallout you're facing is not bigger than who God is, you can take that on every single time. So that's number one, having heart. Number two, be faithful. Be faithful. 1 Samuel 16, 11 talks about this. And, and, I, and I think this is, really, this is really important. You know, Samuel's coming into town to anoint the king, the future king of Israel. Where is David? David is in the field. So David had seven brothers ahead of him, okay? All seven of those brothers went through, and God said, nope, not him, not him, not him. Where was David? Doing his job. Doing what he was supposed to do. Doing what he had been called to do at that point in time. And it goes as far as to say, Samuel tells Jesse, I'm not leaving, we're not eating, we're not doing anything until the youngest son comes out of the field. How cool is that? So, so not only was David being faithful doing what he is, his responsibilities required him to do, God even waited on him. How cool is that? Because when you are chosen by God, when you have the heart that pursues God with everything you got, you're always faithful. You pursue God. You pursue His plan. You pursue the things that are going to edify Him and connect you with people. Right? So, so when you're faithful, God uses that to His benefit. And Christine Kane has a powerful quote. Being faithful doesn't mean you are fearless. It just means that your faith is greater than your fear. If we could probably go back and, and, and look at David personally, I'm sure he was scared to death about being a king. He's not, he, he was never trained up to be that. He was never meant to be that. He thought he was always going to be a shepherd. But I guarantee you he was scared to death. But God chose him because what? He had heart. And the second thing, because he was faithful. Even when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, David was still faithful. He was in the field. How awesome is that? You know, you should be encouraged just with those two points. And the third thing, be yourself. Be yourself. 1 Samuel 16, 19. What this talks about is <clears throat> Saul, after, after the Spirit of God has left Saul and has went to David, you know, because it says 
that once David was anointed, God's spirit came powerfully upon him, it kind of leaves Saul because David becomes the chosen one. But what's cool about this is Saul is dealing with some things, right? His mind's not right. Uh, he, he's going through some things that, uh, you know, really he's being tormented. And that's how Scripture defines it. And if you go back and read the Scripture, you can see that. So Saul's being tormented, and he asks if there's anybody who can come help take this away. And now, remember, David has been anointed king. He has been anointed king. And one of Saul's commanders go, hey, you, we can go get David. We'll go get David, and David can play this lyre. I don't know how you say it, L-Y-R-E, but it's a musical instrument. And, uh, you know, Dave, we can go get David. David can play that, and this will help. This will help. So Saul sends for him. Even Saul knew that he was in the field with the sheep. Because in the Scripture, like I said, if you go back and read it, they come to Jesse and say, Jesse, we need your son David out of the fields. I mean, David was being himself even after he was anointed king. So he had the heart. He had what God was looking for. He was faithful because when God showed up, he was still doing what he was called to do. But the third thing was, after he had been anointed king, he was still himself. By being out in the fields, by being with the sheep. Because guess what? His time hadn't come. God hadn't prepared that next step for him. But things were changing. Things were changing. And this quote by Craig Rochelle, I think, goes perfectly with it. People may admire, your, admire you for your strengths, but they connect with you through your weaknesses. You know, again, if we're looking at in the past, being a shepherd was not a really cool thing to be known for. It just wasn't, okay? So people looked at that as a weakness. People looked at that as, a, as something that, oh, man, he's a shepherd because he couldn't do anything else, okay? But the, but the thing is, what, what people perceive as a weakness is actually God's strength. And so, so what, I, what I want you to understand is, no matter what you're going through, no matter the adversity that you're facing, no matter the fallout that you're facing, these are three powerful reasons to keep pushing through, to keep pursuing what God has for you. You've got to have heart. You've got to be able to connect with God. You, your heart's got to be right. Number two, be faithful. Be faithful in those small things that, that you think are just pointless and, and doesn't make sense, like studying your word every day, praying every day, connecting with people every day. Those are all three things that are so important to your growth as, as, a, as a Christian and also as an individual. And then the last thing, be yourself. Be yourself. I would so much rather be myself than, than give you a facade, give you something fake. And sometimes it gets me in trouble, and other times it works out really well. But I just want you to be encouraged today because fallout is not the end of your story. It's an opportunity to experience personal growth, okay? It just is. It just is. And if you, if you allow yourself to focus on the negative, if you allow yourself to focus on the obstacles or the things that you're going through, you're never going to get over that hump. You're never going to let fallout be what God always intended it to be. And that's your testimony to connect with other people. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.